Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Father, help us now as we come to this very important time of the Word of God. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' precious name and for His sake and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Back in 1981, a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Forbes had proposed to his staff Uh, the editor of the Forbes magazine, he said, I would like to see us list out the 400 richest men in the world. Well, they took it as a very daunting task. And ever since that time, Forbes magazine has printed out the richest men. You know, it started off in the millions and today now it's in billions. Elon Musk, have you heard that name before? Has a net worth of $219 billion dollars. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, is worth $171 billion. The founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates, is number four on the list, worth $129 billion. Warren Buffett, $118 billion, and on and on the list goes for the year of 2022. In fact, on this 36th annual list, there are 2,668 people listed as the richest people, and they're worth a collective trillion. I wish they would help us pay our debt down in America. But may I submit to you today that you as a Christian are richer than any of the people that will ever appear on that list. You may not be rich in money, stocks, or worldly wealth, but you're rich in everything that God has given to you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You say, preacher, what are some of those things that I've been given since I've been saved that make me a very rich person? Well, just off the list, you've been given eternal life. You have blessed assurance. 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Wonderful mercy has been shown to you. You and I have been recipients of God's marvelous grace. We have a peace that is beyond human comprehension. Philippians 3, 7, I love. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Oh, we've been given a real lasting joy. Not like the world gives, but by the way of what Jesus gives. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You and I today as believers have a relationship. We don't have a religion. You're not just compelled to just follow these things and then just kind of find yourself wasted away. But you have a personal, unique relationship with our Lord and Savior. You and I have been given a heavenly father 
who knows our every need and can solve every problem that you have. We have comfort in times of sorrows. Now, could I ask you right now, is that a pretty good list right now? Well, could I encourage you in this? The list continues. You and I have a friend who's with us in times of loneliness. We have a guide to show us how to live. We have a shelter in the time of storm. We have a God who is faithful. We have a stronghold in the day of battle. We have a promise that our needs will be met. We have a God whose presence is ever with us. We have answers to our prayers. We have rest for our weary bones. And we have a love that is unfailing. If you take the time this afternoon to read through Romans chapter 8, you're going to find that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. In fact, the book of Romans in chapter 8 ends with this promise that there is absolutely nothing, nothing that can separate you from the very love of God. Now today... I want to just prop you up a little bit and encourage you in the fact that you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. I know you need to work. I understand supplying for the things of your belongings and your home and all that. But don't give yourself to this world. Give yourself to Jesus. Because as a believer, everything that you need and would ever want is found in Jesus Christ. You say this morning, well, how is it that we have all of this? Why is it that all this has been given to us? Well, I want you to look at one little word in verse number 16. It's an interesting word that is here, given here. Actually, the word is found in verse number 15. It is the word adoption. Adoption. Now, we're familiar with adoption today. In fact, my wife, many of you may not realize, but she's adopted. She had a mother who birthed her into this world that for whatever reason could not keep her, and it was of God's providence. She was brought to the home of Jim and Lynn, or not Lynn, no, Jim and Dorothy McGee. That's why I'll have such an affinity for Brother Jim, because he has the same name as my father-in-law. The name's spelled a little differently, McGee. But my wife's been adopted, and she's been brought into the McGee family and was given all the rights and privileges. And we are somewhat familiar, but there is a little bit of a difference in the Roman Greco world as far as adoption was concerned. The Roman world at the time that this was written had this thought of adoption, and that is that when a child was brought in, they were given then all of the rights of a mature child. In other words, when a child was young, four, five, or six years old, many times there was not much of a difference between a slave and a child. A child had to pour on the duties and take care of many of the things at home. But once they got of age, they then were given all of the rights and the privileges that a child should have. And you and I today who have been adopted by the Father above have been given all the rights and privileges of being a child of God. You and I who were not naturally born into God's family. We didn't inherit this, but I'm telling you what, 
we now are given all these privileges. And so today I want to talk about this aspect of being adopted into God's family. And let me just share with you briefly four things that adoption gives us. First of all, number one, according to verse 14, I want you to know we have a privileged relationship. Look what verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, I'm struck by the last words of this verse, that phrase, the sons of God. First of all, we may look at this and maybe some of you females out here today might say, well, preacher, what about the daughters of God? Well, understand this is not a sexist terminology leaving the women out. This is a very generic term referring to both men and women being brought together into God's family. But again, the phrase might seem a little bit odd to you because in looking at this phrase, you say to yourself, well, I understand Jesus is a son of God. Do you mean that I'm the same as Jesus here? Well, let me clearly and unequivocally say that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. He is the only one that is one in essence with God the Father from all eternity. But to explain this aspect of sons of God, take your Bibles, hold your place here in Romans, and go with me back to the gospel of John chapter number one. Notice, if you will, the first chapter of the fourth gospel, John chapter one, and let me read verse number 12. The Bible says here, John 1, 12, but as many as received him to them, gave ye power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, please note the word receive that is used here. It literally means to lay hold of something, to accept what is available. If we leave church here today and you're standing in the foyer and someone comes over and hands you a gift, That gift will not be yours unless you put your hands out and you receive it for yourself. Do you realize the gift of salvation is exactly that way? That's why the Bible says, as many as received him. I'm sad to say there are people in our community who will hear the gift of salvation. They'll hear the gospel, but they will not lay hold of it for themselves. In order for you to be saved, it is imperative that you receive that gift of salvation. In fact, it's further explained in John 1, 12, not just simply of receiving, but it is a believing. Both of these are used interchangeably, if you will. When you accept the free gift of salvation, you are placing your faith in what Jesus did for you. But it's very interesting to those who receive this gift. The Bible says that they have the power to become the sons of God. Now, the word power is used on a few different occasions throughout the Scripture. And in fact, we translate into English the one word power, but there are a couple of Greek words behind there. One word is the word dunamis, which is the word of of might and strength, but that's not the word that is used here. The very word that is used here is the word that speaks of authority or a right So what the Bible is saying, and how many of you here today would profess to know Jesus as your personal Savior? Would you raise your hand? Would you give me a hearty amen? Amen. All right, that's just to wake you up here as I'm going along. 
But for those of you who've received Jesus Christ, the Bible says you have the right or the authority to say that you're a child of God, a son of God. Now look further at verse number 13 when it describes here this sonship that we have. You see, while Christ's sonship is inherent in him, our sonship is confirmed. It's not, or it's conferred, it's, it's not inherited. Look at verse 13. You and I who, who believe on our name have the power, the right to become the sons of God. And verse 13, which were born not of blood. What do we mean by that? Well, you didn't inherit it. And then he says, not of the will of the flesh. That means you weren't born into it. And then here he says, it is not of the will of man. That is, you didn't work for it. Can I say to you today, if you just raised your hand and said amen to knowing Jesus Christ as Savior, it wasn't because you grew up in a Christian home. It wasn't because you went to church your whole life. It wasn't because you put money in the offering plate. It wasn't because you worked for it. It's because on a particular day, you received the gift of salvation. And God says, when you by faith received him, you became a child of God. Can I say that's a privilege beyond any person reaching Forbes 400? It is a great privilege. No wonder why the Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, what manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Wow. When you go out of here, get excited. Your life may be a little down. You may be going through some hardships. You may still be waiting on insurance. You may still be waiting on people to come by to give you a bid at your home, but can I say that you can be excited beyond all measure because you as a born-again believer are a child of God. That's a privileged relationship. But now notice number two, according to verse number 15, it is a personal relationship. Let me get back to Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. For ye have not received the Spirit again of bondage to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, notice this phrase. Again, something not common to us, Abba, Father. Now, it's an Aramaic term of endearment. It could be translated this way as daddy or papa. In fact, as I did some reading this week, it almost seemed to signify something of a, of, a, of a little infant and some of the first uh, syllables that he put together to, to call out a parent, a mom or a father. But whatever it is and however you translate this word, it simply does signify a relationship. In fact, verse number 15 gives us a strong contrast between those who are slaves that is, there's a spirit of bondage that is there. But my friend, I'm going to tell you, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You and I are saved today. Now we're on a unique, wonderful, personal relationship with the one who bought us from that slave market. I love it here how Paul uses this particular term, Abba, Father. You know, the Jews in 
writing and copying the scriptures and in speaking would be very careful about speaking the name of God because Yahweh, the very name of God, was a very precious name and it indeed is. But as Paul writes this, he says, I wanted to tell you something. God is holy. God is to be magnified. You're to be careful on how you knew, use the name of God. But I want to tell you something. He is your Abba, Father, a very personal God. Many of you here today are grandparents, and you know the joy of now having raised your children, and now you can spoil the living daylights out of those little kids. It's great. But I'll be honest with you, when I found out that my son and daughter-in-law were going to have a baby, that is my son James and his dear wife Faith, I was a little dubious about being called a grandfather. I mean, just look at how young I am. I wasn't ready for all of this. I thought, a grandfather? No. And I really hesitated on this. And some of you today, you, you, you see that there's different things that are done now today. It seems that grandmothers want to pick their name out. I don't want to just be called grandma. So my wife picked out the name Mimi. And so she's known as Mimi, the little Josie. And she kept saying to me as uh, Faith was pregnant, she said, what's your name going to be? Well, they came up with the name Papa because they liked the pizza place, Papa John. And I thought, you know... <laughs> I can't believe you laughed. You weren't supposed to laugh at this point. That wasn't really funny. It wasn't funny when it came through at that moment. But because I chose nothing out else, Papa is what stuck. But I could tell you one thing. Just last week, we went down to the apartment. And as my wife opened up the door, Josie saw him, me, me. And then she looked ahead, and she said that great little term that I love to hear, Papa. And she ran over and gave me a big hug. A couple of years ago, I wasn't ready for that term, but I love it now. It means a lot. Do you realize today you have a heavenly Father who cares for you, who loves you? Oh, how often we cut our time short with God. How often we're uh, out in the other business and leaving off our time with God. But I want to tell you something. There is such a personal relationship with God that God invites you to come in and call him by that dear name that you know him by and spend time with him. You know, in the Old Testament, rarely on a personal level do you see people calling God their father. Maybe, maybe on a national level, it might have been known as the father, but it was very, very rare. But to you and I today as believers, we have the privilege to be able to say, our father, our father. Thirdly, I want you to notice that not only do you and I have a privileged relationship, and a personal relationship. But verse number 16, we have a pledged relationship. The Bible says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit 
that we are the children of God. Now this verse is a great verse that I have used on many occasions as a preacher to help people understand the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. And truly, one of the greatest struggles that Christians have is knowing whether or not they are saved. And I want to help you just briefly this morning. Do you realize that as you study through the New Testament, that that doctrine of assurance of salvation rests on three very important pillars? Number one, it's important for you to understand that when you place your faith in Jesus, you're not trusting in yourself, you're trusting completely in God. When you got saved, could I ask you this? Who were you trusting in? I have seen people sometimes say, well, you know, I believe Jesus died for me, but you know, I'm trying trying to help along the way. My friend, you can't do anything. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. And if you're relying on yourself or the answer includes Jesus dying for you and something that you do, then you're going to struggle with assurance of salvation. Because I don't care what you think about as far as works, the moment you think you can work your way to heaven, then the questions start popping up. Have I done enough? Is there enough that's been committed? Am I ready to be able to meet the Lord? My friend, what you cannot do, Jesus did for you on Calvary. It's all done. He paid it. That's why on the cross he said, it is finished. It was all done. So that's pillar number one is the fact that you are not trusting in yourself. You're trusting completely in Jesus. But number two is that is this, that if you truly are saved, there will be a change in your life. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Is there evidence in your life that God's changed your heart? Do you love God and desire more to be with him? Is your life a life of obedience to his word? Do you hunger to feed on the word of God? Are you growing in godly character and behavior as is summed up by the fruit of the spirit? My friend, if there is a change in your life, then that is a beautiful witness, a wonderful assurance that God is doing something. But the third area is kind of what's hinted in Romans 8, and that is this third pillar is the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice something very particular. Maybe you passed over it as you read it, but I think the King James translators, it was very important in helping us get the sense of this verse. Notice verse 16, the first mention of spirit is capital S. Who do you think that's referring to? It's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, when we got saved, he came to indwell us. And what does he do? He witnesses with our lowercase s, our spirit. You know what goes on, every believer? The spirit of God, God's spirit comes in and says, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. You're on your way to heaven. 
There's a beautiful witness that is taking place in the life of every believer. And can I say to you that if you don't have that witness, if you don't have anything that's going on reminding you while you're sitting here hearing the preaching of God's word, reminding you that you're a child of God, then I implore you, I beg of you to settle it today. Because the beauty of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is that he's given us his spirit. But I want you to notice lastly, verse 17, not only do we have a privileged relationship, a personal relationship, a pledged, but it is a permanent relationship. Verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. The beauty of salvation is God, that God saved you to enjoy life now, but when all is said and done, there's heaven on the other side. Now look at the promises as given, and he uses this word as he uses the word heir. We understand this in the sense of gaining an, an inheritance. But I want to remind you here that verse number 17, when it speaks of inheritance, it's a little different concept than what we know of here today. If I were to receive an inheritance from my dad, my dad would have to pass away. But for me to receive this wonderful inheritance of all that God has made for me for all eternity, I must die. And that's why there's such joy for the Christian that when someone's saved, they pass on and they're with God because now they've inherited everything that's been promised to them. Now, what a beauty this verse talks about. It talks about here that we are heirs of God. And I love this. We're joint heirs with Christ. Now, would you think about this for just a minute? That means whatever Jesus inherits, you inherit with him. And can I ask you this? What does Jesus inherit? Everything. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, that God tells us that he has appointed his son to be heir of all things. But we're not just heirs with Christ, we are joint heirs. Now, I don't know the legal terminology that is used in the aspect of inheritance, but I can share this example with you to help you understand what God has for you. I have three brothers, all of them are younger than I. My mom has already passed on, but my dad, when he passes, we together will be heirs of what my dad has had in this life. Whatever money he's had, whatever possessions he's owned, it'll become ours. But there is not this sense that we all share it together. There are going to be some things that will be split up. The money will be split in four ways. The belongings in the house will be split four ways. And so, yes, while we all are inheriting together, we're not all inheriting the same. But when the Bible tells us that we're joint heirs with Christ and all of us who are believers, guess what? All of us together get to inherit everything that God has for us. Isn't that wonderful? You don't seem excited this morning. 
I mean, when I got up at 5.30 and began reading through this again and studying through it, I gave a few shouts while my wife was still sleeping this morning. And I want you to know here today that there's some exciting things that God has for you. So question I have for you. Are you a child of the king? I hope so. I hope you know that you are. Because if there's any doubt, I want to encourage you today to settle it. But if you are saved, I want to give you this encouragement that despite what has gone on in this life, what may transpire, someday you'll inherit all these wonderful things. I love the beautiful hymn called The Child of the King. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands, of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. With Jesus, my Savior, I'm a child of the king. I love verse 3. Listen to this. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, and an alien by birth, but I've been adopted. My name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown, a child of the king. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us once again to be able to hear thy word. And Lord, we have spoken about all that you have bestowed upon us as believers. And I pray that truly each person here today would be able to testify that they know you as Savior. Pray for those that are struggling with the matter of assurance of salvation. May they get that settled today. Please work in our midst, I ask. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed here today, please nobody looking around. This is a very solemn moment. But I'd like to ask this question and just... And I want you to answer this very honestly, based upon what I shared from the Word of God, how a person is saved because they, at one time in their life, have received the gift of salvation. They've appropriated that gift by faith. How many are here today and would say, Preacher, by uplifted hand, I know that I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm a child of the King. Would you just lift your hand right now? God bless you, may put it down. Now, honestly, and... With a group this size, I really couldn't see every hand, but it's very possible you could not raise your hand. Could I say to you today that right now in your seat, you can change that whole scenario? You, right now, can become a child of God. You say, preacher, really? It's it's simple. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to simplify uh, the, the, the whole thing. You've got to understand that you're a sinner before God and that you're destined to hell, but God has paid for your sin. And if you would believe in Jesus Christ, what he did for you on Calvary, the Bible says you can be saved. So I want to encourage you today, if you'd like to be saved, would you just pray a prayer like this? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot save myself, but I believe Jesus, you died for me. And you shed your blood on the cross to wash away my sins. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior. 
My friend, if you just prayed that prayer right now and you lifted your heart up before God, or you'd like to pray that prayer, I'd like to just have you just quickly, while heads are bowed, I'm the only one looking, just raise your hand right now. I'd just like to acknowledge you here today. I will not call you out. You say, preacher, I just prayed that prayer right now. Anyone here today? God bless you. You may put your hand down. Anyone else? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. Oh, it's a good thing for you if you trusted Christ to make it known. If you prayed to receive that gift of salvation, I want to encourage you to come forward today. Make it known right here at the front and settle this matter and we'll get some material in your hands. I I would like to know this. How many here today are are wrestling with this matter of assurance of salvation? You say, preacher, boy, I tell you what, I, you know, there's days I wake up, I feel like I'm saved. There's days I wake up, I don't feel like I'm saved. I just, I'm wrestling with this. And preacher, I want to nail this down here today. I want to go with the confidence where the Bible says that those who believe, believe in Jesus can know that they have eternal life. And you're wrestling with this today, and I'd just like to pray for you right now. Just lifted hand. Would you just lift it right now? Anyone? God bless you. Yes. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else wrestling with the matter of assurance of salvation? Amen. Now, in just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet together. And I'd like to encourage you as Christians... As a child of the king, would you come forward and just either stand at the altar or kneel at the altar in the front and just thank the Lord for saving your soul? You know, I think it's important every once in a while for us to come before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for what you've done for me. And I want to encourage you to do that. But it's very possible that you're here today and you need to make a decision of baptism Praise God for Aaron who stepped forward at this age stage in his life and he said he wanted to be baptized. Some of you have been saved for a long time but have never been baptized. I want to encourage you to step forward and do that. Let it be known to one of our workers up front. Maybe you're here today and you've been saved and baptized but you've never joined this church. I want to encourage you to make it known. And you come at the invitation. Would you do me a favor? All heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you stand to your feet, please? And I'm going to go ahead and pray. When I say amen, I'm going to invite you to come down. Christian, you come down and give thanks to the Lord for what he's done for you. If you need to make a decision, we'll have a number of people right up front. I'll stand right in the front as well. And you come right to me. You find me and let me know. Preacher, I need to make this decision. I need to follow through on this.